Sean do a good job on that. That was awesome. <clears throat> some, some of you might be thinking, Jim, you look a little different. Like something, something's happened. Like, like, like just something's different. Let me just go ahead and just uh, break the shot of mystery. I won my first table tenant tournament match after 15 months of lessons and playing against the robot in the basement and playing against children in tournaments. That eight-year-old didn't even see what was coming. It was awesome. I love smashing his little dreams. Hey, 15 months of being humiliated by children. I, finally, I felt like Kramer when he was like in the dojo when Seinfeld. I've tasted victory, and it tastes way better than the bitter defeat. It's been like bile in my mouth. Okay, are you guys ready? <clears throat> now we're starting the podcast. So, okay, I'll erase that other part. Here we go. So we're in a series called Healthy Kingdom Families, and uh, we, boy, it's been a good series. I've enjoyed this. Last week we looked at how there is a Greek word to describe God. They had to come up with a different word for God's kind of love because it's so unlike human kind of love. I think the tendency is for us to think, okay, God's love is like human love, but it's like heated up and it's like just way better. No, no, it's a completely different category. So they had a word that they didn't get uh, used much in the Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. It's the word agape. <clears throat> so they had to take a new word and infuse it with new meaning because God's kind of love is so different. And so 1 John 4 eight gives us the ultimate definition. God is love. God is agape. I want you guys to get this. Agape is not an emotion that God has. It's his very nature. It's the way that he is. For God to stop loving you, he would stop existing because God is love. All right? So... Um, in case you missed it, love is kind of a big deal with God. So that's my first point, if anyone's taking notes. Love's kind of a big deal with God. You guys ready for this? Help me fill in the blank on this one. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. By your sound doctrine and ability to correct someone on Facebook? No. By how expressive you are during worship? No. By writing posts and liking memes that make fun of and, make fun of and dishonor whoever is the current president? No, that's not it. If you can fathom all mysteries, speak to any mountain and tell it to move, give away all your possessions and become a martyr? No. Hmm. By your opinion on the He Gets Us Super Bowl commercial? No. no. That's not it. By the way you voted in the last election? No, that's not how you're going to know we're disciples. By how vocal you are, by the latest outrageous thing a group of lost people have done that has made the news? There's a lot of people that think that your Christianity is shown by how outraged you are by what lost people do. Here, here's something that lost people are going to do. They're going to act lost. Stop being surprised by lost people acting lost. Notice Jesus never called them sinners. Religious people called them sinners. You can only lose something that's valuable. That's why Jesus called them lost. You've never lost a gum wrapper. Who cares? But Jesus is like, there's a lost son. There's a lost winning lottery ticket. The woman who's searching for the coins. How are we doing? How are they going to know of our disciples? By whether or not you got the COVID vaccine. No. That's, that's not it. If you... <laughs> Do we need to just pray? <laughs> if you speak in tongues. No. By what Bible translation you use. No. That's not it. Guys, I'm not saying uh, some of these aren't important. Some of them are not important. Some of them are. But guys, if we're known by anything else other than what Jesus said we're to be known for, then we've got some work to do, and I've got some work to do. Okay? By John 3, 13, 35, Jesus speaking to disciples, by this everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love, if you agape one another. Let me give you a little piece of advice on this one. 
don't try to agape the whole world. Let's leave, you'll be approaching divinity if you do that, okay? Let's let God agape the whole world. He says agape one another. God's going to put enough one another's in your life that will keep you busy practicing this for a while. A great place to start is with your spouse. They're the ones who get to see you at your best and your worst. Your kids, your small group, your circle of friends, that cranky coworker at work, that's probably one of the one another's. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love, if you agape one another. How, is it, how can Jesus say that? How can he say people are going to know you're my disciples because of your agape? Because you can't get agape anywhere else other than Jesus. That's the only place you can find it. It's like finding a, an orange tree in the middle of the Arctic Circle. Like, what is this doing here? This doesn't belong here. That's God's kind of love. What, what, this has got to be from a different planet. This is something otherworldly. Yeah, only Jesus has it. And when Jesus' uh, disciples are practicing it, people are going to go, oh, that's what they're known for. Because the quality of love that he teaches is so radical, you can't get it anywhere else. People often confuse love with all sorts of different things. Just listen to country western songs. We're not going to go through them here. But most of the time, they confuse it with feelings, right? They say things like this, I love chocolate cake, right? You don't love chocolate cake. You want to eat chocolate cake. And that's very different than love. People often don't, can't uh, tell the difference between desire and love. If you're a piece of chocolate cake and you heard someone say, I love chocolate cake, you better worry about yourself if they're talking about desire, right? Now you can imagine if someone who's going to agape chocolate cake, they're going to take care of it. They're going to carry it around carefully. They're going to see to it that's in good condition, right? You guys get the idea. It's different than just desiring to consume it. Remember the first words of, um, of Samson in the Bible? They're so powerful. He, uh, he orders his father, which is bold enough. He says, get me that woman for I desire her. That's not love. <laughs> now the world might think that's love. To love simply means I want what is good and beneficial for others, even if it costs me something. That's it. Let's not make it harder than it is. It's selflessly willing good for someone or something. You can be loving in a war and you can be loving when you fire somebody. We're actually going to see in a few weeks here, I hate to spoil this one, you can actually have agape love when you divorce somebody. Now, if there's agape love with both parties, it'll be impossible to get divorced. But sometimes divorce might actually be the most loving option when two people are destroying each other. How we doing? God hates divorce, and he gave Israel a certificate of divorce. Okay, we'll just save that one for a few weeks from now. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a fun one to walk the tightrope on that one. <laughs> when you're selflessly willing good for someone or something, you come from a place of love. Even if you disagree with them, even if you have to confront them over something, love may require you to confront them over something and to do it in a loving manner. Let's say you love your geranium, you love your plant. You don't slap it around, you make sure it gets sunlight. You make sure it has proper food and proper water. I'm trying to show you, love is more than just a feeling. It's an action that wills the good of someone or something else. Are you guys getting this? It's a completely different kind of this mushy, sloshy, I love you, you love me, we're best friends like family, with a great big hug from a kiss from me to you, won't you say? Okay, you guys watch Barney, yes. If you love your pet, you will take care of it, okay? Notice there's actions that accompany love. And so the general nature of love is the overall disposition of I want your good even if it costs me something. 
There's a big difference between love and lust. And when it comes to people getting married, most people get married in lust. They do not get married in love. Okay? And so uh, people that get married in lust, what happens is they fall in lust, and they get married in lust, and then they fall out of lust. And they begin to lust after someone else, and then they fall in lust with them, and they get married to them. That is Hollywood romance. That's the big swelling kiss at the end of every Hallmark movie. This isn't unconditional love or I'm, no, you know, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, I'm now going to dedicate myself. I'm making the choice that I'm going to love you. No, it's, they got the hots for each other and there's a big kiss at the end with the swelling music. That's lust. That's desire. That's I love chocolate cake. I want to eat it. How we doing? So here's what it looks like in marriage when you pray for your spouse, okay? Most people aren't praying for their spouse because they love them. They're praying for their, I'm not saying most people. Some Christians pray for their spouse, not because they love their spouse, but because they love themselves. Oh, God changed my spouse. He's such a jerk. He's so mean to me. He's never there for me. He's not emotionally present. It has nothing to do with your spouse. You just are tired of being treated that way. Here's what the Bible says in James 3, that when there's selfishness, every evil action will abound. When you're praying selfishly for your spouse, you actually become a landing strip for the demonic. Most people aren't praying for their spouse. They're expressing their selfishness out loud and inviting the demonic into their life. How we doing? My wife and I, we uh, got someone in our life, and she uh, has found out that her husband has been uh, cheating on her most of her marriage with multiple women. And so you can imagine the first reaction is absolute shock. You're absolutely crushed. The emotion of it hits her. And um, then we watched her step into agape love. Agape love, she was sitting, uh, she, was, she, she had some time away with the Lord, and God began to love her. And as she received the love of God, she was able to become that love to her husband. Because there's no other way you can do this. I'm not saying she's not crushed emotionally. I'm not saying she's not hurting. But she began to pray an agape prayer for her husband. Rather than change him, I'm so sick of him, tired of him cheating on me and this and that. And praying selfishly, she began to hurt for him and say, he's deceived. God, he's so, he has succumbed to darkness. God, take away the darkness. God, open up his eyes. God, show him what kind of love you have. That's an agape prayer for him willing his highest good not her highest good because she's tired of being cheated on. Guys, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we're going to have to bring Christ into this and do supernatural kind of things. How are we doing? Page four out of 18. Here we go. When you get married in agape under God, it's a different story. Now you're set to do good for that other person. You'll never set out to hurt them. You'll be there for them in sickness and in health, richer for poor, no matter what. It just about takes your breath away when you begin to see these things because you see, I can't do this. I'm not sure if you guys know this. It's not just raising the dead that's impossible. The whole Christian life's impossible. Amen. That's what we said a couple weeks ago. Every marriage needs a third party. So remember, God created you in his image. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Marriage is a reflection of the Trinity. You and God become one. Your spouse becomes one with God. And then you become one with each other. Spouse, God, spouse. Three in one, one in three. Marriage is a reflection of the Trinity. We, mar- every marriage needs a third party. How are we doing? Yeah. I just came up with that one this morning. I'd never heard of that before. I just, but it sounds about right to me. 
I like how Dallas Willard described the Trinity. There's too many to be one and too one to be many. That's a pretty good definition there. So, God is agape. If you were to ask people um, outside of the church to use one word to describe Christians, um, I have a hard time believing that a lot of them would say loving. Right? I remember uh, years ago when I was a young adults pastor, so I'm in my 20s. This is like 20-something years ago. I think well, there's actually a couple people here who were here for that message. It was called, What Would Jesus Say to Eminem? <clears throat> so Eminem is a rapper who um, is typically uh, pretty sharp tongue towards other people. Lots of uh, colorful language that would get bleeped out on the public radio. So let's just say that. Brilliant, genius-level mind, incredible. And so... I thought, this would be fun. I'm going to take a camera crew with me. We're going to go do a man on the streets interview and ask people, what do you think Jesus would say to Eminem? So this is, you know, he's at his height. You know, this is like 20-something years ago. There wasn't one nice thing that anybody thought that Jesus would say to Eminem. The number one thing was, you're going to burn in hell or some variation of that. I think there was another one. Um, God's going to punish you harshly was kind of the general essence of it. There was not one person out there who thought Jesus would say anything nice. And I don't even think my young adults group thought that uh, Jesus was going to say anything nice. And so I shocked them. Can I give you the, uh, the four points of the message, what Jesus would say to Eminem? You guys ready for this? Yes. Number one was, I love you. That's what he would say to him. Number two, I created you for a unique purpose. Yep. Number three, your words are powerful. I want to help you use them for good. Yep. He loves you. He's going to change you too if you're a jerk. So <laughs> He loves you too much to leave you the same. But he's going to love you even if you stay the same. He's going to will your highest good. He's always going to believe in you. He's always going to be pursuing you. And the fourth thing is, I want to help you be a good dad to your daughters. This topic of agape love, it's not a minor thing in the New Testament. It's kind of like, all right, this, this whole list of things I'm supposed to do. No, it's pretty much love. Let me, let me just give you some examples. God is uh, John, 1 John 4, 8. Um, Matthew 5, 45. You guys don't have these on the... On the if you're trying to pull them up, I'm just rapid-firing these. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a pretty big one, Matthew 5.45. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right, Matthew 12.31. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another, John 13.34. Nothing can separate us from God's... Romans 8.38. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. Perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4.18. Love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, many theologians believe there's only one fruit of the Spirit, love, and it manifests itself eight, eight different ways. Love, you know, uh, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love. There's only one fruit of the Spirit manifesting itself in eight different ways. You're being rooted and grounded in love. Ephesians three seventeen. Our roots that literally draw up spiritual nourishment, that soil is the agape love of God. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 17. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, John 15, 13. All you need is love, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. I've been waiting for two weeks for that one. I was sick last week, and two weeks I've been waiting for that one. That's, that's the high point. That's as good as it gets, so... so. Tim, aren't you exaggerating a little bit? I mean, how much of what we do needs to be done in love? Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. <sighs> Man, the excuses are really... Okay, well, maybe we just need more faith. 
Don't, don't we just need more faith? Um, Galatians 5, 6. Faith works by love. When we struggle to believe God's promises will come to pass, that's unbelief. But the root of unbelief is a lack of understanding how much God loves us. If you're struggling to receive healing, you don't have a faith problem. You have a love problem. When we understand God's love, it's going to be easy to believe. Andrew uh, Andrew Womack has a sermon series called uh, God's Kind of Love, The Cure for What Ails You. And it's pretty much anything that you need, it could be undone or have you receive it if you understood God's love better. Love is the driving force behind our faith. Well, Jim, all this teaching that we do in the church, what's the point of all the teaching? 1 Timothy 1.5. The goal of this instruction is love. Remember point number one? Love's kind of a big deal with God. Or are we starting to get the picture? Yeah. Well, how does love rank in the commandments? Like there's a bunch of commandments in scriptures. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love. Love God. Love people. Love. Well, how does it rank among the virtues? There's lots of Christian virtues. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is Colossians 3, 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Jim, we've got to be living in the end times. What should we be focusing on in these end times? 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Even in the end time, we're not supposed to focus on the Nephilim or trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back or the unspotted ref heifers being brought back in Israel and they're doing some kind of new temple sacrifice. Who cares about some unspotted red heifer? Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. My goodness. Talk about an exercise in stupid distractions. My gosh. Can you see this God's kind of love thing is a big deal? I'm afraid some of us might have to wear a dunce cap for the first few millennia in heaven for missing this point. Okay, some of you are a little nervous. There's no dunce caps in heaven. It was just an illustration, just an exaggeration. It probably wasn't very agape of me me to say that, but anyway. If we were to have a conference here at Zion called How to Bless Those Who Curse You, boy, how many people do you think would show up for that? Doing on like supernatural finances, yeah. Healing, raising the dead, yeah, yeah. Love your enemies. You know what? Um, I think we're a little busy that night. I guess it's not exciting. It's not sexy. It's literally the whole point of everything. So many Christians would rather be right than be loving. Right doctrine that doesn't lead to love is not right doctrine. It's just a theory held by an unloving hypocrite. I'm going to say that one again in case you missed it. Right doctrine that does not lead to right... Put it this, right doctrine that doesn't... Uh, okay, I'm going to say it again. <laughs> it was better when I didn't read it. Start over. Thank you. Thank you, Shatisha. That was very loving of you to say that. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Right doctrine that does not lead to love is not right doctrine. It's just a theory held by an unloving hypocrite. So many Christians, they would rather prove you wrong. If you you don't believe me, just go on to a Christian post that looks encouraging and then read the comments. It can literally be quoting scripture and Christians will be hating and despising and devouring each other with their words. They would rather be right than be loving. Seriously, any Christian post that looks encouraging, 
If you want to be discouraged, read the comments. Because out of the abundance of the heart, Facebook speaks. So. Listen to Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Jesus is separating sheep from the goats at the end of time. What is it that's determining who's a sheep and who's a goat? Is it their right doctrine? Is it whether they're Presbyterian or Pentecostal? Or Let's look what this is. This is interesting. This is Jesus' words, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Are you seeing like the galactic level nature of this? Verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, these are the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. How does he tell him who is a sheep? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40. And the king will answer him, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Nothing about doctrine. Nothing about praying the prayer. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to the, one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Guys, these are heavy words. Okay. So, the, okay, so some people would read this. I, 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 we're going we're gonna to get to this in a second. I feel like I need to hit this now. Some people are going to read this and think, I better go and start doing loving things. No, 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 no. That's, that's like trying to tie apples to an orange tree and calling it an apple tree. By your fruit, you will know them. You're not actually supposed to do the commands of Scripture. You're supposed to become the kind of person who would routinely and easily do them. Jesus said, if you make the tree right, the fruit will be right. So the goal is not to try to act loving even when you're not loving. The goal is to become loving on the inside, so that will be how you act. And the key to that, we're going to see in just a second, just so you know, is if you know God by experience, you will be loving. If you're not loving, then you don't know God. So let's not get spiritual dyslexia. Okay, Let's not twist these things around. And so the people who know God, this, this, is how he can, uh, this is how they knew him, is because they acted loving. We're going to see this all in a second. So I just don't want anyone to get scared. But if there's fire in the fireplace, there'll be smoke in the chimney. If you know God by experience, God is love. If you're knowing this person who is love, it's going to change you and you're going to become like him. God is light. We're called, called to be children of light. We're to look like our dad. God is love. We're to be children of love. We're to look like our dad. And it's not through effort and strain and sweat. It's through knowing him, experiencing him, receiving love to become love. That's how Dan Moeller says it. I like that a lot. What was it that separated the sheep from the goat and the nations? Love. Guys, this is heavy stuff. 
This isn't like, all right, let's just, let's just like, let's get on to the next message here. We don't get this one right. We don't get it right. I want you to imagine a person who can speak in tongues and talk to angels. That's pretty impressive. They have prophetic powers and can understand all mysteries of the spiritual realm. They have faith to move every mountain. Literally any impossibility, they have the faith to move it. They don't just give 10% to God. They give away 100% of what they have. They're so dedicated to God that they actually give their life and become a martyr. How many would agree? This is a pretty impressive person. Like, like, get them on the ministry team. You got this person. They are headlining every conference. I mean, faith to move mountains, mysteries, talking to angels. Like, wow. Here's what 1 Corinthians 13 says about that. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I tell you what, people in the church can be impressed with this person, but from heaven's perspective, bong, <laughs> ding dong. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. I don't care how spiritually wise you sound. I don't care how incredible your prophetic powers are and your words of knowledge are. I don't care how many spiritual gifts you move in. Listen, guys, you're like, how can someone move in these gifts of the Spirit like this and not have love? Because gifts tell you about God. They tell you nothing about the person. You can move in the gifts of the Spirit and be a real jerk. You can move in the gifts of the Spirit while having an affair on your spouse. History has proved this over and over again. Gifts tell you about a gracious God. They don't tell you about the character of the person. I don't care how prophetic your gifts are, how spiritual your gifts are, how great your faith is, the exploits you've done for God, how generous and brave you are. If you don't have love, you are a spiritual zero. How we doing? Don't forget you're commanded to love me. So just, let's just start there. Let's just start there. How many of you guys heard of Bob Jones, the prophet? He was a revered prophet, had crazy level power stuff going on. Like he would, um, he would feel like he was supposed to come speak to, at a church. He uh, called up a pastor and he said, listen, I feel like I'm supposed to come here. And uh, just to kind of prove it to you, um, I'm going to, uh, when I come, you name the day I come, and you name the day I leave. There'll be an earthquake on the day I come, and the earthquake on the day I leave. That's some, that's some big boy level prophecy, right? And it happened. He comes in, boom, earthquake. Day he leaves, earthquake. Okay, like, like this guy's moving in crazy level, heavenly encounters type of stuff, okay? And so on August 8th, 1975, the prophet Bob, Bob Jones had a death experience. He actually died, left his body. During his time of being legally dead, he stood in a line awaiting entrance to the heart of Jesus. While waiting in line, he heard the Lord asking each person ahead of him the very same question. You ready for this question Jesus was asking them? Did you learn to love? That was it. It was a one-question exam. When Bob got to the front of the line, the Lord basically told him it wasn't his time yet, and the prophet returned to life on earth with a newfound focus. Here was a supernatural saint, but his life focus was summed up in these words, learning to love. So once you get past, what did you do with my son Jesus? That gets us to the gates. The only question on the exam was, did you learn to love? Guys, we've got to make this the priority of our life. Listen, if you never intend to become love, you never will. It's not like, oh, I'm just drifting through life, just staying busy and scrolling through Facebook a couple hours a day and watching movies and, wow, I just, I just, I'm just becoming love. 
1 John 4, let's read, uh, let's read uh, starting in verse 7. This is 1 John 7 through, like in the 20s, I, I can't remember where we're going to go to. It's just profound. It's absolutely profound, filled with good news. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and knows God, or whoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Just so you know, every time the word love is used in uh, 1 John 4, it's the word agape. Okay, so I want you to start, see how he starts off reminding them who they are, beloved. Okay, it's a form of the word agape. So what if, what if we could put it like this? You who have been agape is what he's giving them. You who have been agape, you who are someone who has God's unconditional love permanently set upon you. What if you begin to take these as identity statements? I am the beloved. I am someone who has God's unconditional love permanently set upon me. You who are someone who is, uh, will experience nothing but God's patience, kindness, never keeping a record of your wrongs, always believing in you. Those are taken right out of 1 Corinthians 13, describing love. Okay, so just as he, as he starts this off, he's reminding them of who they are. Boy, guys, we need to remind ourselves of who we are. I love 1 John 15. He tells Jesus, he's like, hey, if you'll abide in my love, he begins talking about all these abiding things. He's like, ask whatever you will, and it'll be done so that your joy may be full. Prayer is not supposed to bring us joy in God. Answered prayer is supposed to bring us joy in God. Oh, boy. Thank you, Derek. It's a little lonely up here sometimes. <laughs> you who have been agape. Okay, so remember, throughout, this, throughout this, uh, this section, all the words are agape. Agape. Let us agape one another, for agape is from God, and whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Guys, this is real. If you do not love, you do not know God at all. Like, I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care if you speak in tongues. You don't know God. You may be able to quote scriptures and do a bunch of religious-looking activities. If you do not love, you do not know God by experience. But if you know God by experience, then you will be alive with his love, and you will love. Are you seeing the thing? Don't, don't sit here and think, I need to be more loving. Think, God, I need to receive love. I need to know you better. Because when I know you better, I'll be more loving on accident than I can on my own strength. It's a byproduct. Listen to 1 John 3, 14. Um, it states it very plainly. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. You're not born again unless you love. It says it really plainly there. I don't care if you prayed the prayer. I don't care if they sprinkled your forehead when you were a baby. I don't care if they dunked you and held you under until there was bubbles coming out. That's not more spiritual, but I've always wanted to try it for some people. Some of you are like, that old man doesn't look dead. You know, so. Some of you aren't amused, and that just makes me want to do it even more. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You cannot understand the love of God apart from the cross of Jesus. Because I think earlier in 1 John, stepping away from the notes here, you guys ready for this? Early in 1 John, it says God is light. In him, there is no darkness. Okay? He doesn't put up with sin. He's also a just God. So how can the light of God and the love of God meet? Okay? So love doesn't mean, oh... Yeah, you're, you're being a real stinker, you know. I just, I just love you. 
I just love you. It's not this warm, sloshy kind of love. The true love of God costs you something. It cost God so much that he had to send his son to die because he loved. God's kind of love will cost you something. The cross shows us where the love of God and the justice of God comes together. The justice of God, guys, there has to be a price paid for sin. God can't just wink at it. He's not some senile. Guys, when we see a judge letting sin go, when we see judges letting illegal aliens, uh, you know, illegal people illegally into our country, you know, criminals going back out on the street, committing more crimes, going back in, the government supporting them, and all like, our blood boils at that kind of injustice. We want there to be justice. You want a God who's just. But because his lo- he also loves us, he became the one who took the punishment for that sin. The cross shows, puts the right goggles on us, puts the right lenses on us. The, the, the love of God and the justice of God is met in the cross. The light of God and the love of God. Verse 10, and this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, the cross. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13, by this, we, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Listen to verse 19. You're thinking, how can I get this kind of love? Okay, like, like I get it, Jim. Love. Love's a big deal. Love, love, love. Like, we want to be known by a love. Here, here's the key. How do I get this kind of love? Ready? Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. This is new covenant love. Old covenant love, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Remember, he was literally summarizing the Old Testament. So a lot of people think this is how Christians are supposed to do it. I've got to love God. I've got to do it. No, no, no. Like, good luck getting it out of your own will. That was a summary of the Old Testament. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It was coming out of Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus. There was other places in it, okay? Love God. Here's new covenant love. We love him because he first loved us. It's a response it's not something that we work up and we're like, God, look, look at my heart. It's so incredible. I love you. We're so lame, we can't even do that. When we see that he first loved us, how can I not fall in love with a God like that? If you want to love your brothers and sisters and your spouse and your difficult coworker, look at God's love. Receive God's love. Again, Dan Moeller I don't know how he said it all in one phrase. He summarized everything I'm trying to say times 10. You must receive love to become love. We got to get it in the right order. And God has a plan to make you more loving than you ever wanted to be. If you don't want to become love, you never will. But if you want to, grace will empower your yes so that the desire of your heart becomes a reality. I'm hoping that some of you, there's something rising up and in you going, man, This is important. God, I I want to become love. Receive love to become love. God's not trying to get Christians to act more loving. Okay? Jim, I just can't love so-and-so. And And so they stop and they give up on agape love. You should not try to love that person, but you should spend time letting God love you 
thinking about his love, abiding in his love, feasting on his love, and you'll soon become the kind of person who would love them. Our goal is not to be loving to this or that person, but to become a person who has encountered and been changed by the love of God so that love is now my overall character. I do not come to my enemy and then try to love them. I come to them as a loving person. Love is not a faucet to be turned on or off at will. God's kind of love, he doesn't just uh, doesn't heat up when you're doing good and cool down when you're being bad. His love is on. He is love. He is constantly willing your good. God doesn't just love you and me. His overall disposition is for good, regardless of how people respond or behave back. Always believing the best. Always pursuing. Never giving up. Always kind. Always patient. You guys ready for this statement? This explains why God loves people even when he's not pleased with them. See, in human love, we have to think, well, I have to be pleased with you, and you're acting like a jerk, but I love you anyway. I can still will your good. I can still be patient. I can still be kind and not like your behaviors. Look at the news, guys. It's basically a testimony to the fallen nature of man. I wish someone would start like a good news channel. It's like, you know, like 60 minutes of, you know, of bad news. You know, there's like 59 minutes of bad news. Oh, and here's this little report. You know, this kid won a trophy for this plant. It's like, it's all bad news. You can love somebody and not be pleased with their behavior. Love isn't this sloshy human emotion that's like, oh, I, you're acting like a complete jerk, but it's okay. It's okay. No, it's not okay. And you may have to confront them about that. If your spouse is abusing you, you may have to get the police involved and get a paper trail going on them. Their behavior isn't okay, but you can do it in a manner that's loving. I'm doing this so I hope that you encounter God. I'm doing this so that the kids don't have an example of this. I'm doing this because I'm worth it. Loving someone doesn't mean you approve of their behavior. How are we doing? God did not just come to save us from our sin. Our sin was in the way. A lot of people think that the only reason Jesus came was to die on a cross. Okay? No, no, no. He didn't come to die on a cross. That was a necessary thing because our sin was in the way. He came to restore us back to purpose. Genesis 1, you were created in his image for intimacy. You can only be intimate with someone that's in their same image, right? I know you think your dog understands you, but they're not in the same image as you. You're like, you don't know my dog. Okay, whatever. Goldfish, plant, fill in the blank there. Created in his image for intimacy, in his likeness, so we can represent what he's like to the world. Okay? In the garden, everything was awesome. It was just the way God wanted it to be. And Adam and Eve were to take their unity between a man and woman becoming one. They're one with God, walking with him, fellowshipping with him. They were to take what was going on in the garden and to um, be fruitful and multiply. So their children were to go, and they were to spread the goodness of God uh, so that the knowledge of the glory of God covered the earth like the waters cover the sea. Okay? And uh, remember, it says, so in his image, in his likeness, you were created to rule, to reign, to have dominion. You only take dominion over something that's unruly. Right? And so the outside the garden, hot mess. And so the plan of God was to say, let's take what's happening with the intimacy of here, of, of us, out of that, in my likeness, to go and represent what I'm like all over the planet. It's the same plan today. Out of the intimacy with God, we would destroy the works of the devil and show people what God's like. 
Christ in you is the hope of glory. Glory isn't like this cloud that's going to come and settle on the city, and everyone's like, look, he's awesome. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of God is what he's like. The only hope of this planet, seeing what God is like, is Christ in you, you revealing his likeness to this world. I can't work up a love for other people. Some people are just too obnoxious. But I look at God's love, and I have the love for my brother the same way that God has love for me. It's not this human thing that I can work up. I have to get it from a different source. I have to become it from a different source. This doesn't necessarily mean that I want them as my closest friends. I still may not like what they're doing. But I can see them now through the lens of the cross. The cross has adjusted my eyesight. When I look at my brother without the cross, these negative feelings rise within. But then I put on the adjusting lens of the cross, and I understand that the sins of my brother and my sins have been paid for by the same sacrifice of Jesus. Remember, the cross adjusts my lens. And if I will not see my brother as having his sins being dealt with on the cross, then, I cannot, then I'm not able to look at him and see what God has done for him on the cross. If you can't see your brother forgiven on the cross, you won't be able to see yourself forgiven on the cross. Remember the Bible says um, right after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, if you ever wonder about this passage, it says if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. What's he talking about? Guys, if I can't see that my brother's forgiven, if I can't take the same grace, if I can't see myself as forgiven on the cross and go, wow. If, guys, when you see yourself forgiven on the cross and go, wow, you're going to be able to go, oh, he gets that same thing too. If you can't see, if you can't forgive someone else, it means you can't even receive that same forgiveness for yourself. People who can't forgive other people, they have a hard time feeling like they're forgiven and loved by God. That's what that verse is talking about. If you can't apply it to someone else, it means you didn't really understand it yourself. Because he who is forgiven much, loves much. I'm burning calories up here, guys. When I can look at my brother through the cross, I realize the sin that he has just committed against me was just one of the sins that Jesus forgave. And I'm given that same forgiveness that I receive for myself. I'm like, wow, he gets it too. She gets it too. So I look at that sin he's committed against me, and I make a very deliberate choice. Either I can begin the process that ends in hate by me attacking him sin for sin, or I can look at that through the cross and realize that sin hurting me has been paid for by Christ on the cross. I can pray the prayer of Stephen. Remember the first martyr of the early church? Remember what he prayed in Acts 7.60? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Here's another translation. Uh, Lord, do not lay this charge against them. Then whose charge would it be laid against? He recognized this charge had already been taken on the cross. The same forgiveness that Stephen received, he sees it and he's like, wow, they get it too. It doesn't mean I may go... Um, it doesn't mean I go over and make that man my closest friend. Maybe, maybe not. Nor does it mean I'm going to choose to have dinner with him every single Sunday. Maybe it would be best to move to the other side of town. That actually might be the most loving thing. Here's what it means. I don't hate them. I don't resent them. I don't have bitterness. I don't respond like the world will respond. And I will their highest good. And while they're in process, I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to be kind with them. And I'm going to actually weep for them because they're walking in darkness. They're deceived, and I'm hurting for them. I'm not hurting for me because they're treating me so poorly, and I'm never going to stop believing in them. Agape, and you can't do it unless you're receiving it. 
And when I receive it, it's like, I don't deserve this. Hey, here's some more undeserved stuff. Jesus says, uh, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He's literally hanging naked on a cross with his beard pulled out, stripes on his back, crown of thorns in his head. He's blessing those who persecute. He's praying for those who persecute him, just like he taught us. Let me ask you this. Do you think it was difficult? Don't answer this out loud because you'll probably get it wrong. Um, <laughs> do you think it was difficult for Jesus to bless those who cursed him? I would say it would be difficult for him to do anything but that. Love had so penetrated the core of his being, and it was so who he was, he would have to burn calories and sweat to try to do anything else other than that. He was love. So his only response was love. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Verse 21, in this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We've got to receive that love to become love. Don't try and be loving, become loving. There's a lot of ways that Satan uh, uses to try to block uh, what God's love is like. Okay? He tries to pervert it into this human love, and one of the things he tries to do is tie it to our performance. It makes you think that when you behave good, God's good. When you behave bad, he's just about had enough of you, and he might smite you with cancer, might smite you with a car accident, or make your tires blow out, or make your dryer wear out. I was, I was taught this growing up, by the way. If you don't tithe, God's going to get his money somehow. He's going to make the car break down. He'll get it in medical bills. Am I the only one who went to these churches? Yeah. What does religion do? It reduces God's kind of love, agape, down to this human kind of love, which loves based on how lovely you are. It's easy to believe it's all God or nothing when it comes to salvation. Like, there's nothing I can do to be saved. But religion uh, uh, it begins to deceive us and say, God's only going to prosper you or heal you or answer your prayer in proportion to your holiness. In the natural world, you get what you deserve. Like employers don't hire you based on their love for you. They don't have an agape review. They have a performance review. Unfortunately, the same thing is true in most relationships. I've had so many, Mary and I have met with so many married couples, and they basically said, uh, they don't deserve my love. Right? However, the, truly, the, the nearly too good to be true news of the gospel is we don't get what we deserve. And in marriages, guys, in, in our relationships, we can have a different kind of love response. Religion says, um, God loves you unconditionally as long as you keep these conditions. If we pray, go to church, pay our tithes, etc., the Lord loves us and answers our prayers. But if we fail, then God won't answer our prayers. That's not true. That's spiritual dyslexia. Uh, Andrew Womack calls it spiritual dyslexia. Dyslexia is where a person thinks, sees things backwards. A dyslexic person sees the word God as the word dog. How many knows? Those are pretty big different things there. But the dyslexic person may see them as the same. Spiritual dyslexia has a similar effect on people. And in fact, it, helps them, it makes them see scriptures backwards. I'm almost done. This is my final point here. 1 John 2, 3 through 5 in the Passion Translation. Here's how we can be sure that we've truly come to know God if we keep his commands. If someone claims, I've come to know God by experience, yet doesn't keep his commands, he is a phony and the truth finds no place in him. How many of you know 1 John ain't playing? 
Like we've been reading out of 1 John, he ain't playing in this thing, all right? And so a dyslexic Christian, they see these verses and they say, I want to know God, so I have to keep his commandments. I've got to obey, I've got to be holy, I've got to do these things, then I can know God. No, 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 no. That's the verse they're saying the opposite. Keeping commandments is the result of knowing God. That's like saying, okay, I hear love is a big deal. I need to be more loving. No, 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 no. We need to receive love. Then you'll be more loving. Let's not get spiritual dyslexia when it comes to that. We didn't do anything to earn his love, and there's nothing we can do to lose it. God is love. God loved Hitler as much as he loved Billy Graham. God loves Donald Trump as much as he does Joe Biden, as much as he does ISIS. He loves the people at Fox News the same as he does CNN. He loves the Buckeyes the same as the Wolverines. I knew you had a limit. Let's end the way that we just uh, started a little while ago. First John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You who have been agape you are someone who has unconditional love permanently set upon you. You as someone who will experience nothing but God's patience, kindness, never keeping a record of your wrongs, always believing the best. Because what if you were to make that your identity? You are the beloved of God. What if you were to personalize it? I used to think that John was like the favorite of Jesus. Like we hear that all the time. Like you just had the three Peter, James, and John. But John was like the beloved. He was the apostle whom Jesus loved. You guys remember that? He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. I thought, man, John must have had some kind of special favor with Jesus. I got some good news for you. I've discovered the secret of John's favor. Are you guys ready for this? The phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is only found in one book of the Bible. The one written by John. Matthew wasn't like, yeah, he's the one. No, no, only John's calling himself that. It's a phrase John used to describe himself. What was John doing? He was practicing and personalizing the love that Jesus had for him. Guys, you can be God's favorite if you want to. John knew the secret of accessing Jesus' undeserved, unearned favor for himself. It's up to you and me to see ourselves as I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Say that with me. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. There's your start towards becoming more loving. The secret to John's favor was the personalization of God's love. That's what it means to abide in God's love. I'm feasting on it. I'm making it my identity. I'm seeing it. I'm renewing. I'm thinking thoughts about it. I'm, renew, I'm spending time in his presence. Guys, there's pretty much two ways to transform. By beholding him and renewing your mind. I'm spending time in his presence and letting him love on me without any agenda. Just, I'm here. Just like you lay in the sun, you're not doing a whole lot of work when you're laying in the sun. You're just, the sun's coming on you. I wouldn't know. I've read about this. But anyway, <laughs> other people have told me about what it's like. I told you, I got, I got burned from my iPad. The light from my iPad gave me a sunburn one time. <laughs> Beholding him, letting him love me, or renewing my mind. I'm thinking thoughts on purpose of what he believes about me, what he says about me. I'm receiving that love. What would it look like for you to see this as part of your identity? I mean, you could put it as your screensaver. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. Put it on your phone wallpaper, a sticky note on the bathroom mirror. I want us to be a church that grows in the consciousness of the Father's unconditional love. I want you to be favor conscious and not sin conscious. Whoever God is to you, he will be through you. Which explains so much of Christianity today. If he's harsh, judge, judgmental, then you're going to be picketing 
people you don't agree with and believing you're doing God a favor. Whoever God is to you, he will be through you. So let's close with this. Let's have everybody stand. I know it was a little long today, but uh, I had two weeks to think about this one. Let's make this real simple. If you don't choose to become love, if you don't intend it, you won't do it. But if you give God your yes, he'll give you the grace for the desires of your heart, okay? So let's just give, if, if, if you're in here and you're, and you're moved by this, a little bit. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You got to make the first move. God doesn't just come and overwhelm us. You want to you know why he's invisible? Why he's invisible? It's because if he wasn't, we wouldn't have free will. If we saw him in his glory, every knee, there will be a day where it's involuntary. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess when we see him. It's boom. That will be the reaction. Right now we get to choose. And so you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So right now in your heart, if you're like, God, I, I want to become more loving. They're just they're like, don't worry about the other people. Don't worry about, I got to love that person. No, 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 don't. God, we pray for a revelation, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Show us Jesus. Show us how we are the beloved. Each person in here, God, let them personalize your love. Just maybe just, say, just in your own words, just let them know, God, I want to receive love so I can become love. I want to show this world what you're like. Holy Spirit, help me to experience agape in a whole new way. When I was, as I'm in your presence, Holy Spirit, show me that unconditional love. It says the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts. And so it's like the Niagara Falls of love. You actually already have it. Start believing it. God, the Niagara Falls of love have been set upon me. And you begin to experience it. So Lord, right now we just confess our intention. We want to become love. We intend to become love. We may not be great at it at first, God, but we're going to get better at it. We want to receive love so it can become love. Put your hand on somebody next to you and just pray that. Lord, help them to receive more of your love. Help them to see Jesus more clearly. Help them to see that agape love. Guys, you see it, you will become it. It'll be an automatic reaction. You don't see it, God bless your family. They're going to be living with a grump. So, Lord, help us to receive that love in the name of Jesus. Receive that love in the name of Jesus. If you're here this morning and uh, all this is maybe a little bit foreign to you or maybe it's starting to click with you, but you do not know God. You have never said, Jesus, I trust you. I want to become like you. I want to receive this love. I want to become this love. Uh, the, the gospel in two words is trust Jesus. You're not just believing facts about what he did 2,000 years ago, but I'm, I'm putting my confidence that you are right. You are the one. This is the best way to live. Of course, you'll end up going to heaven when you die, but God's not trying to get you into heaven when you die. He's trying to get you into heaven before you die. He's actually trying to step into the reality of his world now, which is soaked in agape. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't know Jesus, maybe you're uh, a drug here by a fanatic. I, I don't know. Maybe they wore you down finally. But you're here and you're like, listen, I, I need this. Today's my day. I'm just going to ask you to be bold. Every head up, every eye open, everyone looking around. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. Not trying to embarrass anybody, but uh, if the Holy Spirit's prompting you, your heart's pounding right now and your mouth is dry. I'm just going to listen, guys, we've all done it. I'm just going to encourage you, be bold, and just raise your hand. You're like, here today, I need this. I need this Jesus. Is there anybody in here? Awesome, over there. Thank you. Anybody else? You're like, I, I need Jesus. I, I want this love. Anybody else? Over there. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? 
Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Let me just paint a picture for you guys. Here's what Luke 15 says. It says, when one lost person comes home, remember, you can only lose something that's valuable. When one lost sinner, one lost person comes home, here's what it says, is that um, all the angels of heaven throw a big party, and your name is over the banner. Yeah, so yeah, so it's good news. We're good.